Reading from Luke chapter 24, beginning to read at verse 13, down to verse 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hope that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if we were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, We are not our hearts burning with us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen 
and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Not just to the folks who are here, but the folks who will be watching from their homes in various places online. It's lovely to be here. It'll be even better when the time comes again, when we can all meet together. But thank you, Lord, that we can be here and we can share your word. I'm not quite sure why, but this is one of the most difficult talks I've ever had to prepare. prepare. And so I'm very thankful to the people who have prayed for me. because I think we got there in the end. This is the Emmaus Walk, and by way of introduction, I would like to read to you something said by Lance Lambert, who was a beloved Bible teacher and prophet, who died in 2013. Um, Many of us will know his name. And he described an event which took place in Israel while he was leading a tour group of nice English ladies. The conversation turned to the question of why so few Jewish people follow Jesus, Yeshua, as their Messiah. The ladies asked whether the Jews studied such passages as Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22. Oh yes, Lance answered. They study Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. Then why don't they believe? The ladies asked. How did you come to believe? Came the reply. Oh, the Lord opened our eyes, said the ladies. Then how do you think the Jews will come to faith? End of conversation. Today, we'll have a look at what was likely one of the first events like this ever to have happened. We have an account of people encountering the risen Jesus. Two of his disciples who had been in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, the first of the annual pilgrim feasts which all Jews should attend if possible, and the city was crowded. The origins of this feast go back to the escape of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. The Lord visited Egypt with a tenth plague, after which the Pharaoh would let the people go. The tenth plague was the death of the firstborn male of every family, people and animals. The Israelites were required to slaughter a lamb and smear its blood on the lintel and doorposts of their homes. And when the angel of the Lord passed through the land and saw the blood, he passed over them. It was not that the Israelites were any less sinful than the Egyptians, but the shed blood saved them. And so we read in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, 
I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you when I strike the land of Egypt. In due time, Yeshua, Jesus from Nazareth, would give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. It had to happen at Passover. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His very name means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. And as the Apostle Paul wrote, Christ, our Passover Lamb, is sacrificed for us. Now remember that Paul only had one Bible. It's what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Yeshua was well known as a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and all the people. Our two disciples, of whom Dozie has read, about, read to us, expected that he would be the one to redeem Israel from the tyranny of a brutal Roman rule. However, the chief priests and the leaders of the Jews, a specific group of Jews, condemned him to death and handed him over to the Gentiles, Roman soldiers, to be executed by crucifixion, a particularly barbaric method common to the Romans. So, he was crucified, dead, and buried before the beginning of Shabbat, which begins at sunset on Friday and lasts for 24 hours. Two days, Friday, sunset, to Saturday, sunset, and on the third day, the women went to the tomb to anoint the body. However, his body was not in the tomb, but the grave clothes were. And two men in dazzling clothing said to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still alive. He told you that you would go into the Galilee and that he would have risen from the dead and be delivered into sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise again. The disciples did not actually believe the testimony of the women. Only Peter according to Luke, went to have a look and he saw the linen clothes by themselves and marvelled at what had happened. Cleopas and his companion were sad because he was their rabbi. They were bitterly disappointed because he had not done the very thing they most wanted and confidently expected that he would redeem Israel. Instead, he had been crucified. Their expectations and their hopes were dashed. But they had heard about the rumours from what the women said. 
it seems these two disciples were not really convinced by the eyewitness testimony of the women. And they also had doubts because many of the other male disciples, the men, had not believed either, except perhaps Peter. After all, people who have been crucified do not normally come to life again. Yeshua had been crucified, was dead, and had been buried, and all of this before Shabbat. Now, this was the subject of their discussion on their way back from Jerusalem to their home village of Emmaus, which was about seven miles away. All these things going over in their minds, trying to make sense of it all. Why, 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 why? If he was there to redeem Israel, why, why had he been crucified? Now there's a question for you. They were joined by a stranger, a fellow Jew. It was Yeshua himself, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now that's a strange expression. Was their vision blurred by grief, disappointment, despair? Or did they simply not believe that he was alive? Or is there a suggestion that perhaps somebody or something else was responsible? Was Satan involved? Was it God himself? We don't know. The stranger inquired why they were so downcast. Cleopas was surprised that anyone could have been in the city and not know what had happened. And so they told the story, the story which we've just spoken about. Verse 25 of Luke 24 says that Yeshua strongly rebuked them. How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted it or explained to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wow! Now you need to know that Jewish boys in their education had to read and learn the Hebrew scriptures. And Jesus himself, Yeshua, demonstrated a profound knowledge of the Torah, Nevi'im, etc. The disciples should have recognized him. The scriptures he referred to are what we call the Old Testament. We neglect those scriptures at our peril. And it says in our reading that beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So I've had a look at some of the scriptures. It kept me busy for a very long time. Very interesting. I have only got time to mention a few of them to you. But I'll have to start with Genesis. And 
after the confrontation um, where Adam and Eve make the mistake that they did, um, disobeyed the Lord, etc., the Lord dealt with the serpent. And he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is referred to as one of the earliest prophecies concerning the Messiah. Yes, the enemy would bruise his heel. But the child that would be born centuries down the line would bruise his head. So, a few more examples. Um, Prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 53, and this this chapter 53 is a must, a must read, a must study, that he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was signed a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Study those words for yourself. Here is a description of what happened to the Lord and why it happened. It's the why it happened that's so interesting. It had to be that way. Again, Isaiah writes, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd, and he gathers his lambs in his arm, and he gently leads those who are with young. Picked up in his teaching by the Lord Jesus in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, says Yeshua. A quotation from the Psalms. Well, a reference to the Psalms. I haven't got time to quote it all. But Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is one of David's Psalms. And it is a vivid description of the agony of crucifixion. Such a punishment, such a death, was not common, was not practised during David's lifetime. It's looking forward to a method of execution which was peculiarly Roman. David, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. Some of the references there then to his suffering. I could quote others, but time precludes that. Our text says that 
Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures concerning the things concerning himself. And that includes his glory. His glory. His glory. Again, I quote from the Psalms. And this is David again. My heart is glad. Psalm 16. My heart is glad. And my soul rejoices, for you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see death or decay. And I believe that's a reference to the Lord Jesus. I believe this is one of the scriptures he would have unpacked in that wonderful Bible study. We turn to Isaiah again, and in Isaiah chapter 6, we note that Isaiah beheld his glory. Isaiah has even more to say about the Lord in chapter 9. For he says, For unto us, referring at that point to Israel, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And again from Isaiah, What an amazing man to have received, what a humble man really, to have received such revelation from the Lord. And Isaiah 53 again. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, here we have the sin question again. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. This, this vision, this, this sense that Isaiah has of the wonder of who the Messiah would be. A couple of references also from the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel, in chapter 7 of his prophecies, sees one like a son of man, seated at the right hand of the Father and coming in the clouds of heaven. And later in chapter 10 of his prophecy, we read this. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, and I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, and his face like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude." Fast forward to the revelation of John. And this is 
the vision he had of the Lord Jesus. Wow. What a Bible study. Go home and take time and see what else you can find. It's just fantastic. Now what should we learn from this? One of the things I think I learned is that it's vital that we allow Jesus by his spirit to open our minds to understand the scriptures. And I quote, the Hebrew scriptures was his Bible, it was all he had. It was Paul's Bible, it was all he had. Jesus knew it and he drew on it for his teaching. He used it as the sword of the spirit in his conflict with Satan. It revealed to him the path that he must tread to fulfill his mission. We neglect the Hebrew scriptures at our peril. As we pray and study, the Lord Jesus himself draws near. Did you realize that? Do you ever have those precious moments when suddenly you see something? You've never seen it before, but suddenly the Lord is there and he shows you, ah, now I see. We sense his presence and we receive from him. Take time to wait on him with the scriptures open before us. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. As they reached the village of Emmaus, Yeshua made as if he would continue his journey. But the two disciples urged him strongly to stay with them. Hospitality was very important in Jewish life. Do you remember Abraham entertained three visitors and one of them was the Lord himself? So verse 30 of our reading, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. This was a fairly familiar event. It recalls the prelude to the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 near Bethsaida. Was that possibly an aid to recognition? I don't know. But what I do know is this, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Now, was this the Lord? Was it various things that provoked their thinking? I don't know. But somehow, by some means, their eyes were opened and they recognized it. Hallelujah. And he vanished from their sight. That blurred vision, whatever might have been the cause for it, that blurred vision was corrected and they saw the Lord. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? There was a real reaction in the inmost part of their being to this opening up of the scriptures. It was as if the recognition process was beginning. What's going on here? There was a reaction. Their hearts burned within them. Such a revelation had to be shared. 
And however late it was, or however dangerous the road back to Jerusalem might have been, they had to go. So back they went to Jerusalem. And when they got there, they told what had happened to them on the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Their eyes had been opened. They had seen the Lord. Wow. Jesus has appeared to many more people than those mentioned to us in the scripture. I will name just a few. Some of the names may be familiar to you, others may not. There was a Jewish believer called Richard Wurmbrandt, and he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. In various points during his life, Jesus appeared. There was a man, an Indian, an Indian mystic, called Sadhu Sundar Singh. He was about to commit suicide because he had been searching for a peace of mind that he had not found. Jesus appeared to him. There was a lady called Bilquis Sheikh who wrote a book called I Dared to Call Him Father. Another lady called Gushan Esther who wrote a book called The Torn Veil. They saw the Lord. He appeared to them. There was a lad called Rabindranath Maharaja. He was the son of a guru and was training himself to become a guru. The Lord appeared to him. And the book is called Death of a Guru. Just a few from the past. But I like to bring this up to date and personal. At the end of the Gospel, according to Matthew, we read this. Therefore go, Jesus speaking, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What does that mean for us? I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. We've mentioned several people to whom the Lord Jesus has appeared over the centuries since his resurrection, and there are probably many more. But let us, in conclusion, consider a relatively recent event. And this is very much St. Paul's related, actually. Our mother's union at St. Paul's had a strong connection with the mother's union at St. George's Baghdad when the Reverend Canon Andrew White was the vicar of Baghdad. 
And some of you may remember that some years ago, Andrew White actually preached here at St. Paul's. His book, The Vicar of Baghdad, was published in 2009, and it tells the story of his ministry in Baghdad. Just a brief summary, and the punchline you will notice. During his period of service in Baghdad, he saw the glory of the Lord on more than one occasion, and especially when he celebrated Holy Communion. Seeing the glory of God and being reminded of his presence with him in all the trials and difficulties and sorrows of life at St. George's sustained him through his time of service there. We do not all see the Lord, but the Lord Jesus, Yeshua, is with us in spirit at all times, for he dwells in us and we in him. Christ is risen. Hallelujah.